find in, in the bulletin and read that on at your leisure, or leisure, as the Brits say. All right, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is called the Great Commission. We'll read it, and then we'll pray. We'll talk about baptism for a while, and then we're going to do some this morning. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray once more. Father, will you come through your Spirit now and help us to understand your Word here. Help us to understand more about your Son and about this thing called baptism and what it is and who it's for and how to do it and what it means. Father, be glorified as we grow in knowledge of your word and of your son. And Father, change us accordingly. And guard us always from error. In Jesus' name, amen. Our baptism service was postponed from December 9th to today, and I wrote or amended this baptism service the week before that, which is the sermon I gave a year ago, but the day before that, on December 8th, I saw the movie Lincoln, and this was an important enough illustration, I thought I'd just leave it in. But it's a month old already. So I was reminded when I saw Lincoln that day as I was thinking about baptism. You know the movie Lincoln. It's about Abraham Lincoln. The dude who played him is probably going to win the Oscar, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis. Anyways, I was reminded that day, and it uh, connected with baptism for me. It reminded me that there is a freedom worth dying for. so that others can have it, right? Slavery, human trafficking, the sacrifices we would make for our children if called upon to do it. We, we would give our lives so that others can have freedom, wouldn't we? And we do. But there is another freedom We'll call it spiritual freedom. 
we'll call it true freedom, forever freedom, that, in fact, one must first die in order to experience personally. Christian baptism pictures this. Christian baptism pictures the death and resurrection of the one who purchased and achieved this true and forever freedom for his own. And it pictures the reality that the one being baptized has died to self, to his or her rebellion against God, to to sin, died to sin. Having been born again by God's grace, raised to newness of life, brought to repentance and faith, and kept by the power of God. Why do Christians, disciples or followers of Jesus Christ, get baptized? That's the note to strike first this morning. And whenever we talk about or conduct Christian baptism, that is, Christian baptism gets its meaning and its importance from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died in the place of sinners and who rose in victory over sin and Satan and death, guaranteeing that all who then place their trust in him by God's grace will have eternal life, having themselves died to sin and raised to life with him. Baptism points to all of this, pictures this, and displays these truths. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Baptism is a picture. So talking about Christian baptism and, and doing baptisms is very much not about religious ritual. We are talking about Jesus, his victory over his and our great enemies, and the freedom and life he gives to all who are his, who follow him by God's grace. Now, in the text we read earlier, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, we see clearly that Jesus commanded that believers, that is, his followers or disciples, be baptized. And we see clearly that baptizing, the baptizing of a disciple of Jesus Christ, is tied very closely to the making or gathering of disciples. Being one of the first things, if not the first thing, Jesus mentions that his disciples ought to do. Or rather, that ought to be done to them. We can say more than that, and we will this morning, and we could say more than even what we will say, but this is just the basics of baptism, right? So, the first thing to say is that in the scriptures we are given instructions for how to do baptism. We're told at least a couple things. First, we're told how to do it. So, you might think that this is, you know, 
it's a little strange that we have this tub in here and, you know, it's January and, and we're going to do that over there. It's a little strange um, because of the fact that we're in the upper Midwest and we want to baptize people anytime during the year. So we have this little space over here that we can fill with water and heat up and it doesn't leak too bad and, and we can do baptisms. It's a little strange, but if you were to think that this is all some sort of religious ritual invention by the church at some dark point in the history, you'd be wrong. I mean, this part, that, that thing, is an invention. But not what we're going to do in it. We're told how to do it in the Bible. From the get-go, the church baptized by immersion. That is, by putting the new believer all the way underwater deep enough to do so. And then, um, thankfully, bringing them up out of the water before too long. Or else there will be real physical death, I suspect. It is significant that in the act of literally going under the water, being totally immersed or put totally under the water, overwhelmed by water, if, if you will, and being raised up again, we are doing or acting out what the Greek word actually means, which is baptizo, which actually just literally means immersion or to immerse or to dip under the water. The whole body completely submerged and then raised up out of the water. In fact, none, not one of the New Testament occurrences of baptism describe anything but baptism as Immersion, And in fact, the instances of baptisms that include a description of how they did it only make sense if we understand baptism as immersion. For example, in John 3.23, now this is John's baptism, but Christian baptism is modeled directly on John's baptism. John 3.23 says, Quote, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And in Acts 8.38, read by Kyle earlier, an Ethiopian eunuch comes to believe in Jesus under the guidance of Philip. Almost immediately, the eunuch asks if he can be baptized. Philip agrees. He commanded the chariot to stop. And quote, they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So that's how to do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Find water deep enough and dunk them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're also told who it's for. We're told how and we're, we're told who. The New Testament experience of baptism works like this. A person is born again or regenerated by God. New eyes, new heart. See their need, see Jesus. They repent. As they turn from their sin and rebellion and they turn to Jesus, that is, they believe. They confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, King, then they are baptized. 
we look again to the Great Commission. This time, a little more closely, just to make sure we see the order of things right from the get-go. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says again, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Who's the them? Disciples. What's a disciple? It's a person who has consciously professed faith in Jesus. The them refers back to the word disciples. Believer's baptism doesn't make you a disciple. Doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't make you a believer. Rather, baptism is something that existing disciples of Jesus Christ do. It's something that believers, Christians do, and no one else. In fact, anything else is not baptism. It's just getting wet. So please note this. Every baptism recorded in the New Testament is received by those who are responding to the good news proclaimed, who are responding to what God has done to and for them in Christ. And just a couple quick notes, and these will, I think, someday be uh, baptism sermons all their own, uh, but just to note them. In two of the harder texts about baptism, more difficult, two of the more difficult texts, is Colossians 2, 11 and 12, and 1 Peter 3, 18 through 21. These are particularly challenging verses. Even there, though, the expressed faith, the expressed faith of the one being baptized is assumed. Baptism even being described as an expression itself of the faith of the one being baptized. And even the two household texts, right? He and his household believed and were baptized. There's two of those in Acts. People want to say, well, there must have been babies and therefore we have proof for baby baptism. Even those two household texts, often used by those who argue for the baptism of infants, presume those two texts presume conscious belief of the ones being baptized. You can read about those in Acts 16 and 18. So, the experience, the pattern of baptism in the New Testament is that of a new believer receiving baptism by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit after professing faith. Baptism, then, is an expression of the conscious faith of the one being baptized. It is, therefore, not something that an unbeliever can do. It is, therefore, not something that an infant can do. That is why we don't baptize infants here. Because there are simply no examples of it in the New Testament, and there are no instructions in the Bible given to do it. So we're given instructions um, on how to do it. We are taught who it's for. And then the second big thing is we're also given the meaning of it. Already sort of referred to this at the top. Baptism 
is an identification with Christ. Baptism is an identification with Christ. In the New Testament, believers receive baptism to signify their death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus, the crucified and risen Jesus. Baptism then expresses union with Christ in his death and resurrection. And it signifies, symbolizes, points to our death with Christ and to sin that was accomplished at Calvary and was first experienced by us when we were united to Christ by faith. We die to sin. We die to self. In other words, baptism is symbolic of what has already taken place in the heart of the believer. But it is also the heart's further call to God. We say to God in our baptism something like, by your grace, I trust in you alone, Father God. I thank you for what you have done for me in Christ Jesus. You have saved me. I joyfully accept it and commit to it with my whole body with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I have died to myself. I have died to sin as Christ died on the cross for me. And I receive through faith, by grace, all that the crucified and risen and reigning Christ is for me. And I confess my faith in you. And I throw myself at your mercy and grace in gladness and joy. If you understand what baptism signifies, pictures, symbolizes, points to, Christian, you understand what really happened to you when you became a Christian, when God rescued you. Here is the picture most clearly described by Paul in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. Romans 6. 3 through 7. Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free. From sin. This is the gospel. It's the good news concerning Jesus Christ that by God's grace, by his power, at his initiation, for his good pleasure, to his glory, it is the transition of a lost sinner from death to life, from darkness to light, from hopelessness to hopefulness from slavery to sin, 
to the family of God. And baptism is the symbolic picture of this already present reality in the life of the believer. So when we lower a person into the water, which we will in a moment, in a few moments, immersing them, we remember and celebrate the death and burial of Jesus Christ for our sins. In Christ, we are not the same people we once were. We ought not be. Our old self died with Christ. Baptism pictures this. It pictures the first half of Galatians 2.20 where Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then when we quickly raise that person up out of the water, we remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and the person's participation in it by God's grace, being a new creation in Christ. And we go forward from the baptismal waters committed to and celebrating the newness of life which is found only in Jesus Christ. So this pictures the second half of Galatians 2.20 where Paul writes, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Baptism pictures this reality. United with Christ in death, united with Christ in life, united with Christ for all eternity. So this is what it means to live out our faith, to be a Christian, to live in and live out the reality of what our baptism portrays. All of this then makes baptism not a cold ritual, but a warm celebration. There is, at least in my experience thus far, no sadness in baptism. There is no despair, only joy and happiness and gladness for having been captivated by Christ and saved by Him, saved through His life and death and resurrection. The Christian knows, in glimpses through brokenness and remaining sin, even so, the Christian knows that there is no greater joy than to be in Christ. David wrote, Psalm 16, praying to God, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Christian knows how God made good on these promises and how he made good on them in and through Jesus Christ. The Christian knows that Jesus Christ is life and that abundant and eternal life is found only in him, with him. The Christian knows that the greatest joy in the universe is God's joy, Christ's joy, and that Jesus gives his own joy to his own, and that this joy is indestructible. And the Christian knows that with God in Christ are pleasures forevermore. To know Jesus Christ is to be promised true joy forever, and to experience that joy in part here, knowing that God makes good on all of his promises Baptism pictures our entry into this joy, the joy of the Lord. And that's what happened to the the eunuch in Acts 8, verse 39, after being baptized by Philip and 
After the Spirit caught Philip away, the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Of course he did. He now knew and knows Jesus. This is true forever freedom. And though there are freedoms in this world, we will die to give and protect. There is a freedom. We call it spiritual freedom. True forever freedom. That you must die first to experience and have. Die to sin, to self, to our rebellion against God, and live in Christ. Baptism pictures this. What we are celebrating today is the mighty new birth work of God in the hearts of people, saving sinners from hell, specifically his saving work in the lives of Leah Miller, Sarah Fish, and Aaron and Candace Kleinsaucer, and in the hearts of all who today profess faith in Christ Jesus. May their movements and their professions of faith in the baptistry this morning signify their desire to continue to die to sin and to walk in newness of life by God's grace, a life devoted to God in Christ for His glory and their joy. This is forever freedom. And may we as a church, as a people, as family and friends, as we baptize and are baptized and witness baptisms, may we dedicate ourselves anew to obeying the commands of Jesus joyfully because we love Him. We have seen Him. We have seen His glory by God's grace. And now we savor Him and treasure Him. Just a quick word about logistics. I'm not going to wear this in there. So, until I figure out some way to do that, like some sort of fishing gear, uh, I have to go change, and uh, you'll sing a few songs. But what ha- will happen when we show up over there is you'll hear a brief word of confession and testimony from each person. Actually, Aaron will speak for both he and Candace. You'll hear them respond then to some really old baptismal vows and to a basic presentation of basic Christian truths. I'll invite you to say yes with them. And then each will be immersed under the water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, you'll see some smiles, I think, after that. Remember your own baptism, if you have been, and rejoice at the salvation of the Lord, or come to Him if you haven't. Come to Him. Repent and believe. Here's a picture of the Gospel. So watch. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace. Where would we be and what would we be without it? Thank You, Father, for moving in hearts and minds such that we could see Jesus and Know that we need Him. And then be enabled to come to Him. Being taken from death to life. From slavery to freedom. Father, be with us now in this whole space. And have Your way with each of us. In Jesus' name, Amen.